This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 358 with Ann Moss Rogers. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 358. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Ann Moss Rogers is a TEDx speaker and the owner of the popular Emotionally Naked blog. She's a social media and content marketing expert who turned into an accidental leader as a suicide prevention advocate after her son, Charles, who suffered from depression and addiction, died by suicide in June 2015. She's been interviewed by the New York Times and was the first suicide loss survivor ever invited to speak at the National Institute of Mental Health. Her blog, Emotionally Naked, which focuses on subjects including suicide, grief, addiction, and mental illness, reached over a half million views in its first three years. She has a book coming out, Diary of a Broken Mind, which includes her son's song lyrics and can be found in October of 2019. Ann Moss is originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina, but currently lives in Richmond, Virginia with her husband. And she's going to be here talking about her son, Charles, who passed four years ago by suicide. Listen in to hear Ann Moss share the warning signs of her son's depression and anxiety, the days and events leading up to her son's death, how she feels comforted and connected to Charles when she's on stage talking about his death, how she finds purpose in her day-to-day life after losing her child, and how she's leveraging technology and the internet to save the lives of actively suicidal people. 
I warn you that this episode is not for the faint of heart, but it's also a really, really important episode. I think that there's a lot to be learned from this conversation. And especially as we have more and more children and teens who are being impacted by mental illness and addiction, and we as parents feel terrified and at such a loss as to how we can notice the warning signs and leverage our power to make sure that our children are safe and make sure that we're meeting their emotional needs as much as possible. I think that Ann Moss's work is just beautiful and brilliant, despite the brutal, brutal circumstances that she had to go through in order to bring her work into the world. So I'm honored to have her as a guest. I can't tell you how meaningful it was to have this conversation with her. And I'm hoping that this episode will meet the people who most need this information today. And I want you to share this episode out if you think it might help someone else. I think this topic is really, really important and just so timely right now, given what we see so many young people going through in terms of addiction and mental health. And I'm really proud to be having these kinds of conversations on the show and so deeply honored to have Ann Moss here to share her story. So with all that said, let's dive in with Ann Moss Rogers. Ann Moss Rogers, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm truly honored to have you here joining us today. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So you have to tell people because the first thing I said is you got to tell me where this accent is from. I love a guest with an accent. So tell us where you're from and where your awesome accent comes from. It comes from I'm originally from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. So it's North Carolina, but there are deeper accents in North Carolina. I'm loving the Seattle girl with the flattest accent in the world is loving the North Carolina (laughs) accent. So... You know, I don't, I don't hear it. Even when I listen to videos of myself, I really don't hear it anymore. So funny. So funny. Well, it sounds good. It sounds good on you. So I am excited. I'm excited for this conversation. And also, I have to say, we're going to be talking about something tragic and extremely sensitive. And so I just want to honor you before we even get started for coming in really um, open hearted into this conversation and inviting my audience to listen to something really powerful, intimate, and emotional that happened in your life. I know that talking about this is probably not something that ever will be easy, but I also know, and I know that you know, the potential to impact other people's lives when you talk about mental health, when you talk about suicide and all those things that we're going to be diving into today. I just appreciate you having the topic because I get a lot of pushback, you know? Oh, oh yeah. Wow. What are people's reasons for that? Well, when I apply for speaking events, I mean, I get asked for mental health events or mm-hmm. when it's about addiction or about suicide. But when I want to go into more, you know, like a college, mm-hmm. it's the number two cause of death on college campuses. But I get pushback for it. Like, wow. oh, well, we're really looking for somebody who talks about leadership and soft skills. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Instead of keeping people alive, we'd like to talk about leadership. Yeah, oh my gosh. exactly. Perhaps there's room for both. <laughs> Perhaps, you know, um, and colleges kind of have a an attitude that, okay, it's okay if you die, just don't do it on our campus. Yeah. yeah. And they ship kids off mm-hmm. if they if suspect they, yeah. that it might happen on their campus. Wow. So we're going to get into all of that, the enlightening and dark details of this topic. Um, Before we do that, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Well, I'm so focused on my book coming out. I'm Mm -hmm. so excited because 
it's really happening now. I mean, you know, there's the writing, you spend months writing the proposal to send to publishers and all the rejection and deciding on a publisher. And now it's, you know, I'm going to see a book cover by the end of the month. So what a milestone. I know I'm kind of over the moon. Um, That's so exciting. Let's dive right into the meat of this. And Let's talk a little bit about your son. You lost your son tragically to suicide. Can you tell us about your son, Charles, and his life leading up to his passing? I sure can. You know, he was always the funniest, most popular kid in school. Mm. He was like a really engaging kid. And he was the child that would cuddle up in my lap. And that child loved family and friends so much. But early on... He was the kid who could never kind of be filled up. You know, we would go to a fun event, and when it ended, he would just crash. Or like, let's now, let's go to a theme park. Mm. He, he just never got enough. And I didn't know what to call that. And I would look things up, and I just never really got anywhere with that. But it does turn out that that sort of sensation-seeking is a personality trait that can predispose somebody to addiction. Mm. So I guess talk about his predisposition then to his addiction. How did he end up involved in addiction and struggling with addiction as he got out of childhood and always seeking adventure in childhood? Did that turn into addiction later on? It turned into addiction later on. So early on, I saw signs of anxiety. And I'd say in fourth or fifth grade, that started to be kind of a little bit more obvious. And then a little bit later on, it became depression, only I didn't know it. Mm. He would admit to the anxiety because for whatever reason, that mental illness didn't have as much stigma as depression did. And I think at first, he just didn't even know what to call it. He just felt... He felt sad a lot, and nobody had ever told him what that was. And he started to suffer from thoughts of suicide around middle school. I didn't know it. And he also suffered from a rare sleep disorder called delayed sleep phase syndrome. And that started when he was two. So it's a circadian rhythm disorder. Basically what it means is he had a lot of trouble falling asleep. And like when he was in elementary school, Charles literally could not fall asleep before 11 o'clock at night. Hmm. And he kept begging for me to come into his room and read another story. And I thought, this child just won't give up on the day. And that wasn't the case. It was that he had a disorder that didn't allow him to fall asleep. Hmm. And by high school, that timeline had moved forward to 2 a.m. Wow. Yeah. So he wasn't getting adequate sleep. And we could never get that fixed, despite seeing a lot of specialists about it. And it that was extremely frustrating. Yeah. With him not sleeping, so he would go to sleep at 2 a.m. and then get up like a typical kid for school at 6 right? a.m.? Okay. Well, I could never get him up at 6 a.m. So he was always rushing at the last minute. And I always felt like I was dragging him out of bed and pushing him out the door. Let me tell you, that just doesn't feel good. Right. 
he wasn't diagnosed with his sleep disorder until I took him to the sleep doctor and they handed me some piece of paper and or my husband. I didn't go on this appointment. And we didn't get another sleep study until he was in freshman year in high school. And that's when he was diagnosed. So then I went back to the school his sophomore year and they worked with me and said he doesn't have to come until 10 o'clock. And let's not worry about getting the advanced high school degree. I mean, he was smart, mm-hmm. you know. I just wanted to get it done. Yeah. And so he didn't have to go to school till 10 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and 10.30 on Tuesday and Thursday. So you have a child who is popular and highly loved and loving who is admitting that he as much as he can put it into words is anxious. And then you find out later that he's having suicidal thoughts and struggling with depression. And this is early on in high school and all throughout high school. I found out he was struggling with thoughts of suicide after he killed himself. Oh, so you didn't know until then. Yeah. Okay. And the depression, he was actually finally diagnosed with depression when we sent him away for wilderness. Mm -hmm. So What happened was ninth grade went okay, but it was like, I just felt something was bubbling under the surface. And he went back to public school because they're the only ones who would accommodate his schedule, his Mm. sleeping schedule. Yeah. So really didn't have any other choice. And it was, he started to use marijuana Mm. because to him, using a drug instead of killing himself made a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I can understand that logic from the standpoint of a child who feels depressed every day. Yeah, if it's the only thing that makes you feel better and you think that the only other way to feel better is to kill yourself, then that would make sense. That's reasonable logic. Right. So it started with marijuana. To him, all it's a natural substance. For the first time in my life, I can sleep. For the first time in my life, I don't feel terrible. And the way I knew he was smoking pot is I came home one day and he was asleep on the sofa. And that never happened. Mm. Sarah, that was like, whoa. I think he's, and and I looked at my husband and said, he's smoking something. Yeah. (laughs) And we were right. And and then I thought, you know, you kind of start with, well, you know, you have a conversation and the next time he does it, you take away a privilege. But those traditional tactics didn't work. And I thought there's some underlying cause. And I kept taking him to mental health professionals and they would prescribe medication. And I kept saying, well, how do I get a diagnosis? And nobody ever said the two words psychological evaluation. I'm like, do you know how much that would have been a $20 copay? Yeah. And I could have like had a diagnosis. But so his drug use started to escalate to the point that we were in fear for his life. So we had him kidnapped out of his bed and taken to a wilderness program. Mm. And you don't do that because you've caught your kid with a beer and a joint. You do that because you think my child's going to die if I don't do something. And he was underage and I could still force the issue. But of course, I'm introducing a trauma. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I've got to watch somebody basically handcuff and take my child out the door at 5 a.m., you know, 
and I've me and my husband have arranged this. It, it's traumatic it was, for everyone. Oh, it was. I will never forget the look on his face. And when I look back, I I still don't know. I still don't feel like I had another alternative at that point. Yeah. I had to try. And that's where we got the diagnosis of depression. Mm-hmm. So he got the diagnosis, but he never admitted it. He's like, Mom, that is so wrong. I am not depressed. I'm a happy guy. You hear me laughing all the time. And then when I would come around and think, I just don't think he's telling the truth. Because I would see a little bit of it. He was a master at hiding it. But, you know, you just feel it. Yeah. But he just, you know, he talked me out of it every time. And the suicide came out of nowhere. I had no idea so eventually, he went from wilderness to therapeutic boarding school. Again, not plan A, you know. I, I wasn't dying to spend the money. I didn't know if they worked, but I was desperate. We were desperate. And so he went to therapeutic boarding school, and they ended up graduating from just a regular boarding school. And he comes home in 2014, and he comes back to Virginia where guess what? Nothing has changed. They're not like more resources in that 22 months he was gone. Mm -hmm. There weren't, especially for that age. Yeah, because you're in that hard spot. I used to work in a psychiatric hospital and there is that really rough spot where services, like you don't qualify for teen services, but you're really young to be treated in an adult facility. Like you're just not emotionally mature enough. Even though you would qualify, there is that weird area. Yeah, they call it the gap years, and you so nailed it, Sarah. (laughs) This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters, and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. 
This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. And I always thought it would be easier later when he was older. Mm -hmm. And it, it wasn't. So I'm trying to find him therapeutic services and you know it's like you got to drive them there or they drive themselves they have to follow the schedule and you know so there'd be no shows and I was paying $80 so I was invested in my son's therapy but he wasn't Mm -hmm. and I couldn't make him be and he goes mom I'm you know I'm fine well he was starting to become addicted to heroin and he thought man I found I found the magic bullet. This makes me feel great. And for, I think, 10 months, you know, I didn't know, he was addicted to heroin. And I looked around his room for paraphernalia because a few times I saw some strange behavior, but he was doing it at night when we were asleep. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's doing his drugs at 2 or 3 a.m. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got up, he'd moved through the cycle of... Yeah you know, the nods and all that. And there were a couple times I saw some strange things and I would look it up and I just wasn't using the right words. Mm-hmm. And it it was a month before he died that I found out that he was addicted to heroin. And I was floored. I mean, I was just so floored. I'm like, okay, we have all this other stuff, the depression, which I believe was going on, but that I wasn't getting much support for that diagnosis. And then the anxiety, he'd always had the ADHD. He'd always had the delayed sleep phase syndrome. And now it was something else. And I felt very overwhelmed. And, you know, I was having a difficult time figuring out which way to go. And we were putting the house on the market, you know. So he did call me the day before he killed himself. And I remember alarm bells going off in my head that something was really, really wrong, but I didn't have a bucket to put it in. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been to all these mental health professionals and not one of them ever said, you know, he's a suicide risk. He had been writing music for years. A lot of them had seen his music lyrics. Clear suicidal ideation. Really? 
Oh, yeah. I mean. And none, they didn't ever say anything to you? No. There was one test, and they said he's high risk. And I remember thinking, I wonder what that means. But he's sitting in the room. And I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, do I ask in front of him? And I thought, you know what? I'll call back later and ask them then. And they just never called me back. Wow. And so I just assumed, okay, well, I guess high risk means he could get in a car accident if he's drinking. Mm-hmm. You yeah, know, high I'm risk thinking, could mean a lot of things given the context in which you were living with, and with him and the context that he was living. Right. And I'm thinking, you know, it never occurred to me when you're a parent and you think, man, I've done a reasonably good job of raising this child and he should be reasonably happy. You don't think he's going to kill himself. You just, you think not my child. Right. So I just was never on my radar. And in, in that time, in that phone call, he didn't give me many clues. He was actually going through withdrawal. And I didn't know that either. Mm. He had relapsed after going to rehab. And we'd taken him back to detox. And he walked out. You know, once we left, he walked out on his own. And we didn't know where he was for that two weeks. And then we get this call. There'd been some spotty communication for that two weeks. And I remember thinking, well, you know, I got some time to think about this. And, you know, let me digest it. And I'm going to call some people tomorrow and find out more about what he's talking about. Meantime, he's posting stuff on social media that could basically be the bullet points on under what do they say when they're thinking of suicide. And I know one of them is if I died, no one would notice for 30 days. Wow. I mean, that's literally like, and did you see these posts or did anyone alert you to them? Somebody alerted me to them. By the time somebody alerted me to them, it was too late. I had been blocked from his Facebook. Okay. And I thought I was still blocked, but he had unblocked me at some point because he wanted to print all the family photos. Mm. Um, I didn't know this. So, and had I seen it, I did see one on his Twitter, but I thought it indicated that he was hitting rock bottom, by the way, the biggest myth on earth, and that he was going to call and ask for help. Mm -hmm. And also, I think it's worth pointing out to people listening that, you know, when you have a child who cycles a lot, you have a lot of lows. And so to distinguish between like this low from any other low, it's really hard to know, like, how acute any quote unquote rock bottom might be. And so, you know, if you had never had anything like this happen before, he had never been in a place where things felt desperate or hopeless or whatever. But if you've had this, you know, years of cycling through this, I could absolutely see where you're thinking like, okay, so we're hitting another low. Like I need to brace myself. I'm going to take care of this tomorrow or get on it tomorrow or whatever, rather than thinking like this is totally different than all the other times. Right. I mean, I, to my knowledge, he had never had, He had had one incident on medication years before. And when I had asked the psychiatrist about it, they just glazed over and didn't answer my question. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, everything must be okay then. You know, that had been years prior. It really sounds like healthcare providers weren't like healthcare providers, like eager is not the right word. They shouldn't necessarily be eager to share this kind of information, but it seems like 
there was like a level of like keeping things very quiet and under wraps. And is that because of the stigmatization of suicide or like that doesn't protect anyone that makes it so much higher risk and keeps the stakes so much higher. But what I found strange is that mental health providers didn't want to say the word suicide to me. And so, is that because it increases their liability and the like the way that they are required to act if they think that there's a high risk for that? You know, I don't even know. I could never figure out why no one <laughs> ever mentioned it to me. I mean, I just find that unfathomable. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was on, apparently, in wilderness, he was on suicide watch. Now, his wilderness experience, that was very organized. It's very well done. I got a really good assessment from that. But, you know, they didn't mention it either. And I'm like, the teenagers read the music. I don't expect them to extrapolate that he's suicidal. To them, he's telling a story. And to the kids that know it's kind of like they feel like I'm going to keep your confidence. I got you back. Yeah. So, you know, when I saw this post, I thought he's going to rock bottom. He's going to call. And yes, he was at rock bottom and that was suicide for him. Mm-hmm. And so they were called on Friday morning and we didn't get the news until like eight thirty that night. And they met us in a parking lot at a place we were having dinner and they called my husband on the cell phone. And when they got there, they called us out to the car. And I knew, I knew my child was dead before I got in the car. But I was expecting them to say overdose. That's not like what I would consider a better way to die. Right. But you know, when the policeman said suicide, it just took a whole new dimension. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden, I was just a crappy mother, and my son chose to leave me. And, you know, all those thoughts are running through my head. And I just feel this extra twist of the knife. And I want to look at the guy and go, no, 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 please make it overdose instead. Yeah. <laughs> Which... It's an awful way to go. Yeah. And equally as stigmatized, but it felt so personal and mm-hmm. it wasn't personal because I didn't understand suicide at that time. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Because I think that's a really important thing to touch on that it felt personal, but now you know more and you can see that it wasn't. He didn't do this to me to hurt anybody. Yeah. What he was feeling. It's an irrational state of mind, and it lasts, the intense part lasts about 20 minutes. And they feel worthless, and they just feel the world would be better off without them. And they feel they're a burden. And it's that feeling of self-worth. And, you know, in that intense moment, the pain is so great that they feel like they have no other option. And they you know, complete the suicide. And there, oftentimes, you can do something. But in this case, when he was discovered, you know, he had been dead for a while. Mm. And fortunately, we did not find him. I'm thankful that I was spared that last scenery. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about 
your recovery, which I'm sure is still very active, but kind of walking through those initial first months, what was that like? Well, at first I got home that night and we just collapsed in a pile of pain and the dog leaps in the middle knowing we're just really distressed. And there are all these physical symptoms that you have in that grief process, shortness of breath, dry mouth, you lose your hair, you get rashes. It physically hurts your chest. Um, and I remember the way I got from one hour to the next was that I just told myself, you're going to survive. You're going to survive, and here's why. Because as bad as you feel right now, and I know it's brutal, you will never feel as bad as you did when you got that news. Mm -hmm. That part is over. You've already gotten the call. It's never going to be that bad again. That's how I made it from one day to the next. And then I'm a Southern girl, so my friends knew to pack my house full of people. So 11 o'clock, people started coming over, and they didn't leave till 5. Mm. And they brought food. They offered to walk my dog. And I remember looking at my husband going, what are we going to do when they're not here? Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I'm not even, and he goes, I can't think about that right now. So my friends and family wrapped me in love and let me cry. And they talked about my son, which I wanted them to do. The friends came over. We told stories. I even laughed, which a lot of people say they feel guilty for laughing. But Charles loved to make me laugh. Oh, my gosh, nobody could make me laugh so hard. I would be gripping the sides of a chair in order not to fall over on the floor. <laughs> and he was so funny. And... Then after that, I was running, and I would run into people, and they wouldn't, they wouldn't let me talk about it. And they kept cutting me off mid-sentence, and then they would change the subject. And I just wanted to scream, I buried my child, but that didn't mean I buried his memories. Yeah. And I called the newspaper, and I said, you remember that article I wrote two years ago? And they're like, yeah, we're still getting comments. And I said... And it had been a very popular article about... What, what was the article? It was The Agony of a Child's Mental Illness. Mm. And I said, I want to write a follow-up. And so they said yes. And they said, here's the section it'll be in. They didn't give me a deadline. He died in June. I started it in August. And I didn't finish it until December. So <laughs> it took me... Five months to write 1,200 words. Must have been like the time that you needed for that acute grieving phase. I did. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. 
feel like you're the martyr in your family, you're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. And it was pretty terrible at first. I mean, not just how I felt writing it, but the writing was bad. But I kept at it. And then I remember one day, I'm really angry because nobody's calling me. Nobody's asking me to do anything. Nobody's coming over. You know, they thought I needed to be alone. Well, I needed my friends. They just didn't know that yet. Yeah. yeah. And I wrote this angry manifesto <laughs> that was well written and I remember looking at it the next day going "Ooh, <laughs> if this is like throwing sparks at me yeah so, yeah but the thing is when you write it doesn't literally spit back at you mm-hmm. and you know, I just edited it and kept working on it. Yeah, I kind of laughed at myself going, wow, I was really pissed off. (laughs) (laughs) And I kept at it. And finally, in December, I'm like, I am really happy with this. And I sent it off and had this amazing feeling of accomplishment. And I could tell that process had helped me, even Mm -hmm. though it was agony writing it I'm like I feel some release with this Mm -hmm. I don't know why but it works so that's when I started the blog I didn't even ask about when they were publishing this newspaper article I just sent it off and I thought I don't know what I thought it's just kind of like the act of sending it did it for me yeah and then they I started the blog and they called me in February and said it was published And I had feelings of pure terror. (laughs) I was the edges of a panic attack. I'm trying to hold together. You know, I'm talking through my car speaker, so I'm not holding the phone. But I had to pull over to start breathing exercises because I thought, I'm going to have a panic attack. I'd never had one. And I squeaked out a thank you. She said it's going to be on the front page of Sunday's paper. And that's when I realized, Sarah, oh my gosh, I haven't told anybody about it. I didn't tell my mother. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell my business partner. Nobody knew about it. And I'm like, my friends will abandon me. All my clients will walk away. I am telling my ugly, naked mama grief story, and nobody is ever going to want to read this. And then I pulled myself together, and I thought, you know what, this is what I've been wanting to do, drag this topic into the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And I need to go share it on social media 
turn off all devices, go down to the river with my dog and dive in. Yeah. And it was February, so I couldn't dive in the river. <laughs> you let the dog dive in the river. <laughs> he didn't want to either. Open the James River. I'm thinking that's a good idea. And I'm like, wait a minute, it's February. I can't do that. But I did cut off social media, and it went viral. Wow. It's the story I thought no one would read. And the reason it went viral wasn't because I was a spectacular writer. It was because other people were reading their ugly naked mama or daddy grief in that article. Other parents who had children who died by suicide had died from overdose or other parents that thought any day now Mm -hmm. I could be standing in your shoes. Yeah. And there were like, in the original place where it was on the newspaper, it had like 2,000 comments. Oh, my gosh. I answered every one of them. Wow. Every one of them. And was I that healing you, for you? I would imagine there was, yes. it was really therapeutic. You are so right. You totally nailed that. Yeah. It was very therapeutic. And all of a sudden, I had this audience for my blog. And people were like, well, how do I subscribe? And I'm like, well why would anybody want to subscribe to this? I mean, I'm just, I'm talking about my grief. I'm talking about addiction and mental illness. And I'm like, for goodness sake, I've been in marketing for decades. I know how to put a subscribe thing on there. And people started to subscribe. And then some people were like, I would like it to be daily because I had daily posts. Mm -hmm. And so I did daily and I did weekly. And the list started to grow, and we started to create this tribe. And one day, I realized my son Googled how to kill himself. Because I looked at his instrument of death, and I said, how did he do that? And then it hit me. He Googled it. Mm. And this is after I'd already gotten a letter from a girl named Lauren that said, you know, this post saved my life last night. I've decided to reach out for help because I don't want my mom and dad to go through this. And I suffer from thoughts of suicide. And I thought, I wonder if I can write articles that show up on Google and then they find them and it has some answers or they think and they decide not to die. And that works. I mean, so powerful. I have no idea how often it doesn't work right but I get enough comments so I put one out there you know how do you talk to a friend who's cutting how do you tell a parent you want to die and they find those articles and they'll comment and ask me questions and say should I ask this way or should I tell my teacher first and I'm just amazed that that works but it does And that's kind of shocking (laughs) to me. It's so interesting because it's it's kind of like, it's like too obvious, (laughs) you know? Like if I just write an article telling someone how to not kill themselves, it'll work. But for someone, like you said, in that acute phase, in that 20 minute window, if you can give them a slight glimmer of hope when they're in that acute place and, you know, the right thing pops up on Google, at the right time, there can be that really magical synchronicity and serendipity that just makes it 
like the right thing at the right time. And then it becomes a lifesaver. Right. I mean, what I learned is that people in suicidal ideation have two and typically two intense peaks where they want to end it. But in that time and that 20 minute time frame, there's ambivalence about dying. Mm. And I was hoping maybe I could catch him in that ambivalent yeah. moment. So yeah. here's the catch for the title of some of these pages. I have to use the phrase they're looking up on Google, right. which is cringeworthy. I yeah. mean, it sounds like I'm giving people instructions, mm. but I had that to makes share sense. It. So yeah. yeah, that actually, that makes a ton of sense. And as someone who is familiar with how Google al- algorithms work, I understand that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So if you want to give them hope, people aren't going to be Googling, how do I not kill myself? So if you have an article right. that says, how do I kill myself? Then you can bury the hope that they need in the article, even though the headline is, like you said, pretty cringeworthy. Exactly. So I started off with the title you just said, and then I decided to get even more specific. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to say it out loud. Anybody wants to email me, I'll tell them. Okay. And the reason I don't say it is because it can trigger vulnerable individuals. Okay. So that's the only reason I'm not saying it, because I've had to share it in social media. And let me tell you, that's not I. Every time I have to share it, I'm like, oh, this is so hard to share this yeah, title. Yeah. So I had to first get ranked and compete with the pages that were basically giving step-by-step instructions on this way to die. And once they got to the page, it wasn't converting at all at first. And what that means is it wasn't resonating at all with my audience. So I would expect in this frame of mind to have a lot of people go to the page and then bounce away really quickly. Right. But I would expect that I would reach at least 10 to 15%. And I wasn't hitting those numbers. And I said, I got to figure out what to put on the page. So that means I have to think like they do. I have to be, I have to stand in their shoes and chew their gum. Mm-hmm. So I watched my statistics. I talked to a lot of people with lived experience. And then I was getting messages. This video saved my life last night. And I said, well, I'm putting that video on the page. And then I made a video. I put all the suicide hotlines. I kept the copy super short. And that's where I put the links to how do you tell a parent you want to die so they can go read more about that. And I see that. So I had to make, you know, okay, if it's an adult, what are they going to look for? If it's a teenager, what do they want to know? And lots of times they just sit there and they read about Charles for five hours. Mm -hmm. And then other times they go to the how-to articles So I needed to kind of strategically put not too many links, but enough. And I also see that people call the hotlines from Australia, Canada, Kyrgyzstan. I mean, you know, it ranks like number six in the world. Wow. France, England. So I had to put a link that led to like all hotlines in the world. So I I found one of those, but I've got like Australia, Canada, the U.S. and the the crisis text line because I kept seeing all these countries. I see in the statistics that they use them. Yeah. 
What's amazing about this is that it's not that you're so thoughtful about the data that you're getting behind the scenes and that you're tracking how people are interacting with your site and that you're able to then quantify how helpful your content is and if your strategy is working. And I think that that shows a level of conscientiousness that like, you know, a lot of times people start blogs or podcasts or whatever, because there's something that they want to talk about that's going to make them feel better to talk about it. And that would absolutely make sense that you would want to talk about Charles as a way of honoring him as a way of processing your own grief. But you've taken it to a completely different level when you, first of all, want to make it information that's going to be helpful to other people, but then you're tracking how people are using your and consuming your content to the degree that you know if it's being helpful or not, and if it's actually impacting and saving lives. And I think that's an exceptional commitment to your work and, and to honoring Charles. Well, thank you. And you know, it's someone knew how to do, you know, I did this for years. I was a content marketing expert and I'm a behavior and target market expert. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what I was good at. And I looked at that page and I said, I don't know what to put on it. And I was asking therapists, I'm like, Amos, what would you normally do if it was an HVAC client? You would go find the customers and you would ask questions. Mm -hmm. So I went on an out of the darkness walk. I found people with lived experience and I talked to them. Yeah. And then the people that would email me, I would email them back. And do you mind if I ask you this question? Mm-hmm. And I would get comments, too. I've got about, there are about 250 comments up there now. And I answer every one of them. Wow. And then I decided that once I did this video, I needed to put the video on YouTube and call it the same thing because a lot, that's a search engine too. Oh yeah. It's a huge search engine. And especially for Uh, younger people. Exactly. So that's what I get on YouTube. And, you know, one girl, I got her to go tell her parents and her dad said, pray your way out of it. And I was just like, oh my gosh. 50 messages back and forth, and this yokel says, pray about it. (laughs) Wow. And, you know, I check in on her every once in a while. And then there was a lady from England that commented for over a year, and then she finally got help, and now she comes back and gives me an update about every four months. Oh, my gosh. And that's so neat. Yeah. And then... There is one person I tried to help that I know didn't make it. And Mm. that stunned me. I would imagine that would be very re-traumatizing for you. It was, but I had to tell myself when I went into this that I could only do the best I could Mm do. You know, that I am catching people at the absolute worst time in their entire lives. Yeah. So there is that risk that they're going to follow through, that I only have so much power to prevent. You know, I can only do the best I can do with commenting an email, you know. Right, right. So I did email back and forth with her partner. And I was able to give her some information about some of our email correspondence. Because if you're completely shocked, it's just nice to have 
you know, some background information to kind of put things together. Right. So that helped. Tell us how you tell this story over and over again. I was thinking this throughout this conversation, I've been wondering, but also, especially when you talk about the actual day and getting the news and how do you tell the story over and over again? And do you feel like you're reliving the trauma every time? You know, I get teary more times than not. For one thing, I'm not your typical speaker that's going to fly in and do five in a week. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. I will do two this week, which is unusual. Okay. So maybe three or four a month or some months just one, you know. So that's one way to kind of protect myself. The other way is to practice it and that connecting with the audience. But I think the real magic was the first time I did it and I went out there and I felt Charles with me because he was so good on stage. Mm. And I was addicted at that point because I was scared to death. And then I started it and I felt this sense of calm. Felt, oh my gosh, she's with me. How powerful. (laughs) That was it. I mean, I was just like, and during my TED talk, I felt him with me too. Well, and now it's like a place that you can go visit him. Like you can go visit him when you're on stage, which that's got to be so comforting. It is. So it's both sad and comforting, but I'm also not just up there telling a sad story. I mean, when I get a lot of people feedback, well, you know, I really don't want you to bring my audience down. I don't go in there and tell a sad story and just walk off. Yeah. I'm telling, you know, I'm leaving them with a message of hope that Mm -hmm. I healed. Here's how I healed or whatever the message is for that particular audience. And it just depends on what audience it is. Or I'm telling the story about the data and the online stuff. And people just love those stories. So, you know, I end on a message of hope and not like all sadness. So a lot of people still kind of want to shame me or punish me for my ugly naked mama grief. Like you just need to take that under a blanket and stay there. (laughs) Right. Our conversation just out of the gates was amazing before we started recording. And there's two things I want to touch on. First of all, one of the things you pointed out to me is that you don't say that your son committed suicide. So talk about your language around that and why that's important. Well, we're trying to change the language because when the phrase committed suicide was used back in the 1600s, it was because it was a crime. Mm. And somebody's family member died by suicide, you know, the family would have to go to court and they would be shamed and condemned and the body can't be buried in the cemetery and they were shunned. And today that's just not the case. We recognize it as a public health issue. Suicide is typically triggered by, you know, family health, by mental health issues, by the environment. It's several things. So we recognize it today as a public health issue. Mm -hmm. So it's a cause of death. People die by suicide. He killed himself. Those are appropriate phrases, but committed just incites a crime. It's not a crime because it's a 
act of desperation. I appreciate that distinction because I think that's an important piece for people to know. The first question I asked all moms that I interview and right after I said it, I was like, that's a horrible question. I asked you, how many kids do you have? And in my mind, I was including Charles in that number. But after we talked it through, I said, that must be a hard question for you to get or, or, you know, sometimes triggering question. So tell me about the day after Charles died and someone asking you that question. I'll give you a little bit of preface as to why somebody asked me the next day. So we were selling our house. And the day after he died, we were supposed to go look at a house that was being renovated. And everybody thought I wouldn't want to go. And I'm like, oh, my friends and family aren't going to be here until one o'clock. I can't stand another minute in this house by myself. I got to be in motion. And I also had no place to live because we had sold our house. So I've got a child who died, a child who's just graduated from college and moving out to Los Angeles. And I have no place to live. Oh, my gosh. So I knew which house I wanted. And I said, let's go meet with that contractor like we planned. And we're going through the house. We haven't told him what happened. So I'm going through with the real estate agent, who is my cousin. We go in one of the bedrooms, and the contractor looks, and he goes, do you have children? How many children do you have? And I just looked at him, and I said, well, my oldest is about to move to Los Angeles to live his dream as a filmmaker, but my youngest killed himself yesterday. And the air is just sucked out of the room. (laughs) You know, my cousin is standing there shocked. My husband is shocked. The poor contractor looked like a lightning bolt had just hit him. And he goes, I'm so, so sorry I asked that question. And I said, Josh, that's a natural question to ask. And I now know how I'm going to answer it. And at first I was kind of ashamed of my ugly naked grief. And then I thought, you know what? That's what happened. I'm kind of going to go with something like that. The rest of my family did not. And that's fine. However, we need to process that question so that we feel good about it is fine. And that's how I wanted to do it. So ever since, I say my oldest is living his dream in L.A. as a filmmaker, and my youngest died by suicide. Mm. Oh, Ann Moss, this has been such a powerful conversation, and I'm so grateful to you. And I wish we had a whole other hour to keep talking because I feel like there's just so much to learn from this experience. And I really, really appreciate your openness and vulnerability. I know that I've walked away with some really valuable nuggets today and in terms of more awareness, better awareness around suicide. And I really, really appreciate your mission and your intention and conscientiousness around it. So tell listeners where they can find you, connect with you, read what you're writing. And just, you know, if they feel like someone they know might be at risk, or if they might be at risk, definitely the resources where you might be able to best help them. Emotionallynaked.com. And I also have my professional speaker site is annmossrogers.com. So I do a lot of motivational speaking and a lot of speaking at colleges. And for the audience, I put together basically kind of like what are some parenting tips to build resilience in your children so that you can kind of avoid this outcome. And in that same email that they can sign up for, I put links to articles that would be relevant, like what are some of the things they say. And then I've got resource pages for grief, addiction, mental illness, 
and people can always contact me. I always answer because it's so easy to just, you know, send somebody in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. This has been amazing and I'm so grateful for your resources. So I will make sure that we have everything linked up in the show notes so that people can connect with you in all the ways you just mentioned. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, and you got to talk about the book. <laughs> your book is oh, coming out in October. So that's tell, right. Yeah. Just tell people the name of the book and where they can find the book in October. And I will link to that'll be linked up on your site as well. It's Diary of a Broken Mind. It comes out October 1st. It will be in most bookstores because it's a traditional publish. Amazing. Um, I'm trying to get it on some local bookstores as well so i will definitely have a link on my site and it includes a lot of my son's rap music that he left behind Mm. because that helped me understand the why behind suicide yeah and And, i think um, help others too yeah sorry thank you so yeah we'll have everything linked in the show notes so people can also be on your email list to be notified when the book is out and all of that as well and moss thank you thank you for being here and for just so beautifully living the legacy of your child in in ways that continue to help other kids and families. And thank you again for having the guts to have me on. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Absolutely. My honor. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.